And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it off, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is officially our first episode of the 2021 offseason. And this is an offseason that I think is going to take us through a, a roller coaster ride. There should be a lot happening for the 49ers with about 40 free agents, not a lot of cap space, very uncertain amount of cap space because this is going to be the first time in history that the salary cap number actually decreases in the NFL and just general uncertainty at very important positions heading into 2021. So we'll treat this episode as an introduction to this offseason because the 49ers will have to be very good in the draft where they might have as many as 10 picks in this uh, 2021 draft. They're going to have to be good in free agency and not just good. They're going to have to be efficient. They're going to have to sign good players at the right place to make it all fit. And, uh, you know, it's a puzzle. It, It really is going to be a jigsaw puzzle, Matt. Let's just set this table. What's the one you know facet of this offseason uh, that intrigues you the most because I know that there are a lot of unresolved facets as we do enter this offseason well I mean I should say quarterback because that's going to be the the hot button one but um you know and, and I'm not trying to curry favor with Dennis when I say this but defensive line always intrigues me the most and especially on this team because um it's such an important area and um you know we talked about this the other day there there are going to be two key pieces of that defensive line that they need to figure out fix and that's nose tackle dj jones is going to be a a free agent and then the uh the edge rushing spot um and and i i couldn't quite tell what um john lynch was saying we asked him about d4 the other day and um he made no bones about that this back problem remains an issue uh and it's cloudy for the future and the question is is it so cloudy that they won't be able to cut ties with with D Ford. Uh, and then that creates all sorts of other issues because you're you're basically uh, bound to a guy um, and you're not sure if he's going to produce. But um, hopefully that will resolve itself and hopefully there'll be a healthy person in that edge rushing spot, whether it's a healthy Ford or uh, a replacement for Ford. And, and in the draft, I think that's where the 49ers should find this. Uh, our draft guru, uh, Dane Bruler, thinks that it's a really good draft for that type of player. Uh, guys up and down the draft, first round, second round, third round, fourth, you name it, um, there are options. So that, that to me is intriguing. And then following uh, Kyle Shanahan and, and what he's thinking with, with quarterback will be the other big ticket uh, item that they need to take care of. And I agree Completely. I think you should use all your capital on your defensive line, and that's how you build a great team. But I'm a little biased because I was a defensive lineman. If you look at it, it's it, it's kind of true. And, you know, the 49ers have always invested a lot in their defensive front. Uh, I go all the, all the way back to when I was drafted. I was a second-round draft pick. The next year, they brought in Dennis Doublefield, first-round draft pick. Then the next year, 
You know, Brian Young came first round draft pick and we had a pretty strong defensive line. So, you know, if Nick Bosa is going to come back and he's going to be the beast at that, that perimeter rusher that he was his rookie season, you got Eric Armstead, who was definitely a uh, inside pass rusher. Uh, and then you got Javon Kinlaw, who improved the entire football season, got a lot of snaps. And then you find that bookend. I really don't think D Ford's going to come back. I don't think he's going to be a 49er next year. I think he's just got too many injuries. I think his body's his body's beat up. I don't know if he retires or he, he kind of moves on to another team. But I don't I don't see him as a 49er next season. Uh, you you jump into the draft and you find uh, yourself an edge pass rush. The draft is kind of a kind of a crapshoot. But you have to do your research. You're not going to find another Nick Bosa. I don't think I can't think of another college player as dominated as he is. You need a guy that kind of a defensive line slash linebacker type of guy who can get up the field. Uh, you know, run a hump consistently and, and also set the edge and play well against the run. So I still believe you build your team in the draft. Uh, free agents are great. Veteran pre- presence is great. But I really believe you build your team through the draft. Young guys, uh, get them on the field, get them some, some experience, get them some reps. And that's how you build a team. I agree. And I think the 49ers have to. And I think that they've acknowledged this over the past several months by trying to stockpile those 2021 draft picks because the draft is the cost controlled way of doing business. Uh, when the 49ers were at nine picks um, a little bit earlier this offseason, we'll see how many picks they end up with because if Robert Sala leaves, they might be able to tack on another third rounder. But th- those initial nine picks that the 49ers had had a total price tag, a cap hit for the 2021 season of only about $8 million, which just gives you an idea of how efficient the draft is compared to free agency. I mean, look at D Ford. I mean, you're looking at cap hits close to 20, 20 plus million dollars. You can get nine quality players out of the draft if you do it correctly for a cap hit of only about $7.9 million in one season. So that's why good teams are able to play the whole compensatory pick game and not pay certain pending free agents way too much money, collect that draft pick, and then you know restock through that efficient method. That's how New England stayed really good for two decades. They're just you know constantly cycling guys around their centerpieces, and their centerpiece obviously for such a long time was Tom Brady. As far as where you allocate that draft, draft capital, I have to agree that the defensive line, especially the way that this 49ers team has been built over the past four years, a defensive line is the spot. I just finished a big stat analysis of what the 49ers, you know, put on tape and put on the box scores here in the 2020 season. And one thing that really struck me, and and it might, I think, alter some of the narratives around there, and maybe not. I think a lot of people recognize the importance of Nick Bosa and another really solid edge rusher and what the 49ers had in 2019. But, you know, everybody, Matt, has said, oh, well, the 49ers offense dropped off a lot. The special teams dropped off a lot in 2020. But the defense held firm, even though they lost a bunch of guys. And yes, the defense did stay in the top five or the top 10, but you cannot say that they held firm. And when you look at expected points that the defense added, they were just so powerful and so good in 2019. They added by the advanced stats, 14 expected points per every 100 snaps. So there's about 60 or 70 snaps per game. So that's about two touchdowns per game, just a little bit less than that. That number, even though the defense stayed in the top five this season, dropped down to 2.8 expected points added per 100 snaps. So the defense is essentially was seven times more effective as far as generating value in 2019 because they got all those takeaways from that edge rush. They got all those sacks from that edge rush. And my point is that there's a huge drop off between the top one or 
two defenses in the league and the number five defense in the league. And if you're generous, you'll say the 49ers were number five. But even if you're generous, you can't say that they were, you know, within a world or within a universe of what they put on tape and what they produced in 2019. And that was because of Nick Bosa and D Ford and just a completely dominant defensive line that came in waves. So I would encourage the 49ers to continue investing a lot to be able to reestablish that dominance they had in 2019. Invest a lot in that defensive line because uh, you could really see where the drop off was here in 2020 on that defensive side if you look deeper into those numbers. Yeah, I think that 2019 defense was a game changing defense. And we saw that in week one, that game in, in Tampa, the offense sputtered in that game. Jimmy Garoppolo was not, did not look good in that game. And the defense, I forget how many uh, pick sixes there were too. I think that they, they matched their total from the year before in interceptions in that one game. So the defense rescued uh, the, the offense at various points last year. But remember, in, in 18, coming out of the 18 season, that's what one of the big storylines were, is that that defense just didn't have any pop. Uh, I think they had seven total takeaways. Like I said, two interceptions all year. That was a league record low. And that was the, the theme. Uh, remember, Kyle Shanahan said that uh, this team needed closers and um, that's what they did. I mean, they, they went out and they traded for D Ford and they drafted Nick Bosa. Um, it, those two guys were not available from, I don't know, the what was it, the second quarter of the second game onward. But uh, they still had 20 takeaways this past season versus seven and 18. So, right. I mean, obviously, it's it's not uh, not nearly the defense it was in 19. But I guess the best adjective is uh, maybe admirable job uh, given the circumstances um, like we talked about a lot after games this year, that defense allowed the 49ers to hang around at least most of the time. There were some really bad games. The Buffalo game was bad. The Green Bay game, uh, that was the, the COVID game where everybody uh, was knocked out of that game beforehand, was bad defense. But really, um, it was it was mostly sound defense. And um, the linebacking core, I think, goes a long way to explaining that um, injuries up and down this roster. But Fred Warner played every game like he always does. Dre Greenlaw was in there for, for most of the, the time. And David, you've been noting this. They, they were a really good tackling defense. They were efficient. They weren't maybe weren't exciting, but Jimmy Ward, Greenlaw, Marcel Harris, Warner. These were all really sound tacklers. And I know, Dennis, you probably appreciated that, uh, just given the state of tackling in, in college football and around the rest of the league, uh, th- that was at least something that this 49ers defense did well. Yeah, and you fell off as far as your pass rush went. Pass rush was definitely missing this season compared to last season. But you were still able to kind of get your eyes on some of these younger guys. And and development is huge, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And we saw this year a lot of these guys that just kind of showed up game in and game out because they had no choice because they were now the starters uh, in those different positions. And you were able to see, you know, Tiverius Moore. I mean, he had a his first outing, first couple of outings. It, it was tough to watch him. He was he was he was having it was some mental issues. There was a lot of mistakes, a lot of busted coverage. But I think we saw in the last couple games that he became a better player yeah. than. You know, Akello jumped back on the, you know, on the screen where, you know, he kind of he kind of showed that even though he was benched, you know, he was actually working, you know, on his technique a little bit. He looked like a different football player out there, you know, and then up front, you know, Javon. I mean, again, a rookie, 
All you can do for a rookie, especially a defensive lineman, is give him the reps. Uh, and he showed that he can be a he can be one of those good inside players. You know, so, you know, Marcel Harris, like you said, a lot of these guys, even though the defense was kind of beat up and a lot of patchwork, that linebacking crew did kind of hold it together. Fred Warner kind of held together. But you're also able to see some of these young guys and their ability on the football field. And moving forward, I mean, you get to see, you know, as a coach, a general manager, you get to see kind of what you got in your room and who's been developing and who's been working on their stuff. So, you know, you you see some guys, I think, you know, there's a lot of free agents, but I think there's also a lot of guys that John Lynch would really take a serious look at because of this football season uh, and bring them back on this team next season. And, you know, you, you always hear about these defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators being, you know, like the number one coach looking for a head coaching job and it's it was always kind of weird to me with this defense and you know some of the some of the games you saw why Robert Sala's name was always coming up you know as one of the the number one uh defensive coordinator or, or assistant coach in line for a head coaching gig but he put this defense together somehow and you know he made it work at times sometimes it was ugly but there were some pretty impressive games for these guys who were just, you know, sitting on the bench or sitting at home or sitting on a practice squad. So, you know, it, it speaks to a lot of his coaching and his motivation, him preparing a defense uh, for a game. So you saw a lot of young guys. Hopefully these guys continue to develop and they become starters and they can help contribute to the defense in the future. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Sala squeezed every bit of juice from this defense. I mean, it's remarkable. And there's a statistical kind of fingerprint of that. You look at something like the, the sack rate. It was number two in 2019, obviously, because you had Bosa, you had Ford, you had Ronald Blair. I mean, you just had a fully stocked rush coming after quarterbacks. Well, the sack rate dropped to number 24 this season. That's outside of, of Sala's fault. That's just 
the fact that everybody was hurt. But what he did to manufacture pressure this year, I thought was really interesting. The 49ers got that number two sack rate in 2019, despite blitzing at the third lowest rate in the league. So they hardly blitzed. They were able to get the pressure with four. When you could get that much pressure with just four, it sets you up for takeaways because you have seven guys right on the back end ready to pick off the ball. And the the four guys in the front end are stripping the ball away from the quarterback. Well, this season, Sala had to do something different. He had to get some pressure on the quarterback. So they went from number 29 in blitz rate to number 10 in blitz rate. I mean, he called nearly twice as many blitzes in the 2020 season. And although it didn't really end up in, in many more sacks, obviously, they're still number 24 in sack rate. It got the job done enough for the defense to stay afloat, right, with pressure. And then Matt brought up the great point of tackles. The 49ers had the fewest missed tackles in all of football this season, despite the fact that their defense was exposed more on the field than it was in 2019. But they only missed 69 tackles all year, which is just about 4.2 tackles per game, which is almost nothing in this modern spread NFL. And I think that that is a huge cause for optimism, because what you see here is that the 49ers have established a good defensive structure, right? Guys are tackling well. Guys know where to be. They were listening to the defensive coordinator. They're executing the blitzes, even though they were undermanned well. So you take that solid structure and then next season you're going to plug Nick Bosa back into it. George Kittle said, I'm excited because Nick Bosa's coming back. That's why, because they set up a good defensive structure here in 2020 and then you plug one of the best players in football into it, plus whatever you invest into the defense and I think they need to have two of those edge rushers. That's why I think that at least one of those picks or one of the signings needs to go to the bookend for Nick Bosa. But you can see on paper how this can take a surge in 2021. The question is, Robert Sala probably won't be around, so will the 49ers be missing a binding glue next year or has Robert Sala entrenched enough of a defensive structure that it will live on beyond him? I was trying to ask uh, Shanahan that the other day. I asked him whether, you know, you guys have been playing in the system for so long that if Sala were to move on, would you want to bring in somebody or promote somebody from within so that you're essentially running the same system? And he answered that in the negative, but I have a feeling it's going to it's going to wind up that way, you know, whether it's uh, Raheem Morris or Gus Bradley or D'Amico Ryans or Chris Richard. These are all guys that run the same system. I mean, the 49ers have two of the, on offense and defense, two of the, the hot systems in the NFL. So it would make sense that they stick with the uh, the overarching thing. And, and Robert Sala will, will tell you this right away, that his defense has changed from year to year. But it's the same tent, it's the same structure, the same vocabulary, the same ideals. And the thing that everybody always talks about is that it's black or white. There's not a lot of gray area, there's not a lot of thinking. He wants to make it as simple as possible for his players so that they're playing as fast as possible. And and to me, the, the tackling efficiency numbers are related to injuries or, or lack thereof. Um, like I said, uh, Jimmy Ward synonymous with injuries for most of his career. Well, he played more than 800 snaps this past past season, and he's a good tackler. Um, same with um, Fred Warner and I think Drake Greenlaw taking over for Quan Alexander. That helped the tackling efficiency quite a bit. I think Marcel Harris coming in for Joukowsky Tart, that helped it as well. Uh, Harris is not as good as Tart in, in coverage, uh, but Boy, Harris is, is a terrier around the, the line of scrimmage and um, coming in and upending uh, Kyler Murray. That's, that's one of the better images, I think, from, uh, from the 49ers season. So um, I think that uh, injuries overall really ruin this team. 
But in, in some ways, the, the guys who were the best tacklers stayed on the field. And in some other ways, some, some guys who were bad tacklers were, were removed from the field uh, later in the season. And we talk about, you know, Robert Sala leaving. All signs indicate that he, he's going to be a head coach and he won't be a, the 49ers defensive coordinator. But in this wide nine defense, I mean, it's important if you want to find that bookend to a Nick Bosa, you have to find someone like a D4. You have to find someone who can get off the ball, get that penetration, because because D Ford, he wasn't a great, he wasn't great against the run, but he was so quick off the ball that he could set an edge. So you really couldn't get to the outside of him because he was in the backfield so fast. So if you want to continue to run this wide nine, you got to find someone on the other end that's got that same get-off ability and the ability to get to the to the hip of an offensive tackle and set a hard edge. So you just can't, you know, run those wide sweeps or cutbacks on them. So, you know, if you want to stay with the same defense. Uh, you have to go out and find a player that that Ferrari, that Mercedes Benz on the outside that can get off the ball every snap and get in the backfield and then react then. So you got to find an athletic guy. You got to find a guy that's quick off the ball. Uh, and you got to find a guy with some good pass rush moves. And I haven't looked at the draft yet. I don't know what's in college, but, you know, that is the key to this to this wide nine. I know. You know, Ronald Blair was that guy that could do that. I don't know if Dakota Watson is that guy that can do that. And Deion Jordan, you would look at him, you think he would be that guy, but uh, he doesn't play against the run very well. He doesn't identify run very well. So, you know, the key to this wide nine, I mean, you, you'll have one guy, Nick Bosa, on one end, you have two two guys in the middle, but you got to have a guy on the other side that can play that wide nine because those gaps... When you're in a wide nine, those gaps get real wide and they get real wide real fast if you don't stay in your lanes or if you're not able to cut back or reach or tackle or read the tight end where you have to close down and shut down these wide gaps. So it's going to be important. And, you know, that's why the 49ers gambled on D Ford is because he was a proven commodity there as far as his ability to do just what you're outlining, Dennis. The problem, obviously, was the health. There were issues. There were red flags when the 49ers got him from the Chiefs, but they were hoping that he would you know, be able to display a better health track record than he did in Kansas City. Unfortunately for them, that wasn't the case. And, and now if they're, they're still, I think, holding out a sliver of hope that maybe he'll be able to come back, but it's a very small sliver because the alternative is, is an unknown as well, right? If you draft somebody, you don't know how good they're going to be. Even if you go out and try to sign somebody, well, uh, D. Ford had a Pro Bowl under his belt when the 49ers signed him, and that's why he cost that second-round pick and $20 million a year. So uh, it's they were ready-made entering that 2019 season with Bosa on one end and Ford on the other, assuming that Ford would, Ford would stay healthy. And he generally did stay healthy throughout the 2019 season, but then 2020, uh, all, all the issues did did catch up to the 49ers and to D. Ford. And uh, to get the kind of production that the 49ers got at their peak in 2019 um, will be very expensive. And that's why I think, you know, that they do hold on to the pipe dream that he might get healthy and come back. But, uh, you know, these back injuries, super unpredictable, not looking good for D Ford. And it might be something they just have to cut their losses with, open up some room to sign somebody else, draft somebody else. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, it also reminds me that both trenches are super important for investment this offseason. I mean, the defensive line obviously needs more firepower along the edge to, to return to 2019 form. And, uh, Matt, the 49ers offensive line under Shanahan has never been, I think, at a Super Bowl caliber form uh, in terms of pass blocking. You want to look at another stat? 
They were, I cited this one all the time. They were bad in 2019 in the pass block win rate. They only won uh, on 55% of the snaps, which isn't good. A, a team like the Packers, which is number one, is consistently well above 70%, close to 80% of that pass block win rate, which ESPN tracks. Well, the 49ers dropped another point in 2020. They dropped down to 54% in pass block win rate. They're still ranked near the bottom of the league. Uh, it's a similar story as the defensive line, right? They spent a lot of money on uh, a player who they thought would be really important to um, really lock that position down, and that was Weston Richburg. He, he like D. Ford, <laughs> might be nearing retirement with his uh, with his injuries, and the 49ers now have a gaping hole in the middle that has really adversely affected performance along the offensive line. So that's another thing that I think they absolutely must address this offseason because this team is only going to go as far as its strength in the trenches. Yeah, and that would be a, an altern, alternate uh, first-round pick that I think a lot of people would get on board with. Um, you know, they're, they're picking at uh, number 12. That would be an ideal spot. You're not going to get the, the best offensive tackle or the best offensive lineman. You might get the best guard, though, um, or or somebody that um, that you can move inside the guard or, or have some versatility with at, at number 12. Or you trade down and you get the best best guard uh, in, in in the twenties, but um, that you're you're right. I mean, uh, right guard has been a, uh, a a problem spot consistently. I don't know whether Shanahan would trust a, a rookie center to come in. I don't know whether he sees Brunskill as the the center for the future. But I thought that Brunskill at least um, gave some stability to that, that line in the second half of the season. I mean, he's so smart. He's so unflappable. Those seem to me to be the, the, the two qualities you want most, uh, at that center spot. So maybe that's, uh, that's what they do. I, I'm sure that Brunskill would like to kind of settle down and, um, I think he's going to be, um, uh, exclusive rights free agent. So somebody who's easy to bring back, but for his future, I'm sure he doesn't want to be the swing guy that moved from tackle to guard to, to center, uh, and maybe center is the spot for him. Um, and, you know, the, the offensive line should have been better than it was this year. Um, you know, we, we talk about all the injuries. Well, Lakin Tomlinson played over 1,000 snaps this season. In fact, he only missed two snaps all year. Mike McGlinchey was right behind him. Uh, he missed, it uh, looks like, seven snaps uh, Daniel Brunskill was in for more than a thousand. Trent Williams was in for nearly a thousand. So there, there was some stability there. Um, you know, the, the 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 right guard was a revolving door, however. So uh, if they got some some semblance of sustainability at that spot and had some real talent there, real physical talent um, to go along with, uh, uh, you know, somebody who could could possibly kick out. To, to tackle when Trent Williams, if he is resigned, does decide to move on. I think that would be kind of a smart, big-ticket item to take care of. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. 
Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you talk about offensive linemen, there's a lot of value in, in offensive linemen that you can grab later in a draft. And McKivitz was, what, a fifth rounder? Right. He's one of these guys that just, he needs some more playing time. We, You know, we saw a lot of him. I think he's going to develop into a good guard in the NFL. But I just think, you know, you can get a lot of value later in the draft as far as offensive linemen go. Because, you know, what are they? Just a bunch of big guys that hold you all the time. But, you know, if, if, if you can do a little pass block and you got a little bit of value. I think offensive line is one of those easy, easy positions that you can kind of fill uh, in your draft. You can build in your drafts on these young guys. Get them here. You know, get them developed. I mean, offensive line doesn't take that much. Again, I'm a defensive lineman talking about an offensive line. But it seems like it would be easy to fulfill your needs as an offensive line. But the 49ers haven't done it. It, you know, the, you, you have your tackles. I think you have two one of, two of the better tackles in the NFL. I think McGlinchey just has to work on his technique as far as his pass rush goes. But he's great against the run. I mean, he pancakes guys against the run. And on the inside there, you know, if you can get yourself, you know, a center and another guard and you can get those late in the draft and just build up, you know, that offensive line. I mean, it's important. You know, we see with, with the quarterback, if your quarterback gets hurt, your, your, your starting quarterback gets hurt, and you don't have a good quarterback room. It takes a big effect on the team. But I just really feel like you can find a lot of value later in the draft as far as offensive linemen go. But again, I'm a defensive lineman. And you're right, though. The quarterback is the straw that stirs the drink. So if the quarterback is making the right calls, the line of scrimmage, making the easy throws, which, I mean, they're, they're not easy, I guess, if some quarterbacks can't make them. But you do take some of the throws, I think, that Jimmy Garoppolo made in 2019 for granted. The, the short game is not easy. The, the release, the timing, the accuracy all has to be there to set up the yards after the catch. And when it is clicking, that helps the offensive line look better, especially in the 49ers system, because what it does is that keeps them ahead of schedule. It allows them to run more. It allows McGlinchey to do what he does best more often than what he does worst. I mean, McGlinchey is a guy that is very athletic, gets out in space. Yes, he's a great run blocker. So if the quarterback is doing his job, that actually increases the likelihood of McGlinchey getting to do his job, and then everybody benefits. So we saw that against the NFC in the NFC title game against the Green Bay Packers when the 49ers were running roughshod over them. They need to get into position to strike, to attack more, and that means everybody needs to be doing their work. Now, the problem, I think, is that the interior line, it's really hard to disguise bad center play, bad guard play in any scheme because those guys, you know, if, the, if they're whiffing, if they're not doing a good job, if the center is not orchestrating everything properly, the interior defensive line is going to be on the quarterback really quickly, and that could blow up the play at the point of attack, whereas, you know, Garoppolo might be able to see something happen in a right tackle and step away, step, you know, scramble a bit, even though he's not the most mobile guy. There's nobody that could scramble from immediate pressure up the A-gap. And I think that's why it's so important that the 49ers fix the middle and, fix, you know, that they were just terrorized by blitzes against Seattle right up the A-gap. I remember that game. That was when Shanahan benched uh, Hronis Grasso for Daniel Brunskill on a short week. Well, you just can't have your fifth-string center you know, actually playing in games because that's just a sign that everything's been detonated during the course of the season. My worry, Matt, is that center is a position that seems really cerebral in Shanahan's system because he has so much responsibility that 
maybe you can't just pluck a guy out of the draft and expect him to be good right away, right? I, I think it's kind of like quarterback in that there might be a, a development curve at center, maybe even more of one at center, because I don't even think you could expect a, a guy in the first round to immediately be able to to cerebrally ha- handle everything that the 49ers are asking for. And that's why I think they paid Richburg so much money, and that's why I think they're in so much trouble right now with Ritz, with Richburg's health being such a question. Yeah, and you're right about quarterbacks um, you know, helping the, the process out. And we should note that despite the, the bad uh, turnover margin that the 49ers had and despite his struggles with interceptions, Garoppolo didn't lose any fumbles in, in his start. Um, I think he had two, but uh, the 49ers managed to – to jump on both of them, and that was a that was an issue with the the two guys that replaced him. Um, I don't know I have the stat in front of me, but but Nick Mullins and, and C.J. Beathard lost a lot of fumbles, and that's what we were talking about a lot uh, in early December um, as far as that turnover ratio. So yeah, I mean yeah yeah, it, it, it's all part of the same uh, mechanism. Uh, if you've got good receivers, if uh, the, the quarterback's getting the the ball out quickly. Uh, you can mask some things, and, and that's obviously something that the 49ers have tried to do. Their, their MO to this point has been to not really spend a lot of money on guards and not really spend a lot of money on, on safeties. Uh, th- those are two spots that, um, you know, Shanahan was sort of acknowledging this the other day. In, in a, with a salary cap, you have to take risks in some areas, and he was talking mostly about injuries and how they've uh, they've had a penchant for signing injured guys. Well, there's a reason for that because those guys are the ones who are affordable. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who they bring back and who they sign and uh, how much that plays uh, 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 a role this year. I do remember coming out of 2018, injuries were a big deal. Remember, that was the year that Jarek McKinnon got hurt. That was the year Garoppolo tore his ACL. There were other injuries and and so that was supposed to be a, a thing that they uh, were wary of in the 2019 offseason. And yet they signed Quan Alexander, who was coming off an ACL. They traded for D Ford, who had a history of back issues. So some of those chickens are coming home to roost for them. Uh, and they can't go in the, the cheap and injured uh, route this year, I don't think. I think there'd be... Uh, a, a lot of unhappy fans if that happened. I think as as far as an offensive lineman that uh, Kyle Shanahan likes and wants in his offense is that athletic, that that Guy McIntyre type of offensive lineman, someone who can pull, you know, get around a center, get to the next level, get to the secondary. You know, those guys are, are hard to come by. And, you know, to find an athletic guard or a center is tough. And I, I think when you go into the draft again, I mean, it's, it's going to all come down to your personnel department. I mean, you know, doing your homework and, and, and if you want to find someone and, you know, we talk about the playbook and can someone do it, that's going to be part of the, you know, the formula as far as finding, you know, if you want to kind of attack the, your interior offensive line, you got to find someone super athletic. Then you got to find someone who can absorb the playbook. Uh, and not have such a big learning curve. So I think there's a lot of positions, you know, on this 49ers team that's kind of unique. And and Kyle's looking for a certain type of player. And uh, I think those players are hard to come by because of the style of the offense or even the defense that the 49ers run. So it's going to come down to your to your personnel department, your your scouting team, and and you going out and find these particular players 
that have these these certain skills or certain skill levels that fit into uh, this organization. Well, as the offseason progresses, the 49ers will fill out their 90-man roster with you know, you know more back-of-the-roster guys generally here at the start, but we'll get an idea of who they like, you know, who they want to experiment with in this offseason, and free agency will come a little bit closer. Uh, we may get more clarity on you know the the big ticket decision somebody like D Ford and obviously there's all the talk about Garoppolo which we've gotten into in previous episodes but I think that cap clarity is extremely important for the 49ers to do anything huge or significant because they need to know exactly what the salary cap is otherwise it's it's hard to to budget properly right now they're budgeting at a lowest possible you know, option, which would be the the worst case scenario, 175 million. That's the floor, but it might be higher. It might be 185. Maybe it's 190 million. Who knows what the NFL will do? And then at that point, I think it will be easier to start putting the puzzle pieces in place, see what exactly the 49ers need to do, where they need to save a few million more, where they could splurge a little bit more. You know, it's 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 going to be complicated like that, and right now we just don't have the the end variable in place to be able to to properly assemble all the pieces. So that's why we'll be with you throughout this entire offseason, just kind of looking at the little nuances that help the 49ers make their decisions, and then we'll see what kind of team they could field for 2021. Um, anyway, uh, stay tuned through Twitter, through wherever, to make sure that you know when our next episode will be. We'll try to be with you guys frequently throughout this offseason. It obviously won't be twice a week now that the 49ers aren't playing games, but we'll talk to you all soon, and uh, we hope that you join us for the ride. For Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you all next time.